I just want to share tonight what, what I've been sharing for the last few weeks or month. It's just something God has continued to, uh, to, I think, take deeper in all of us. I love what was shared a few minutes ago. The truth is, is that the deeper we go into the love of the Father, um, we'll be old and gray and still talking about the love of the Father. Yeah. You know, of course, I am old and gray, and so, but, but the reality is that we'll still be old and gray, we'll be talking about the love of others. What else do you talk about? But the love that was expressed through Jesus going to the cross, what amazing love. He loved us while we were unlovable, while we were still sinners, He loved us. It, amazing love. And discovering that at ever-increasing levels, and that's really what God wants us to do, to be truly rooted and grounded in love. And to not only know, not only to know the love of the Father, but to, be, to discover the reality of who we really are in Him, who He is in us. And that's really what I want to talk about tonight. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to John 14, uh, I want to talk tonight about what this whole issue of really knowing who we are. Uh, living in that reality of what Jesus has paid for at the cross. John 14, 18, I'm just going to read this one verse. It says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And um, I'm going to hop around here a little bit, but I'm going to start there because the reality is if you're born again, you're not an orphan. Why would he say that? I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Because the fall, fall in the garden caused us to be orphans separated from God. In Christ, we've been joined back to him. But he said, I'm not going to leave you that way. I'm going to come to you. And of course he has. But the problem is, is that even though we're not orphans, I'm telling you, we still act and, li and live like those orphans a lot of times. So go back to verse 1 of chapter 14. This is Jesus in chapter 14, 15, 16 is what's called the upper room discourse where Jesus is explaining to his disciples what's getting ready to happen. They've been with him three years. He has been, they've seen the miracles, the signs and wonders. They've heard all these things, but this is right before he goes to the cross. So there's a lot here that he's explaining to them. He's introducing the Holy Spirit to them. But one of the things is right here in the beginning, says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I'm reading from the New King James Version, so if yours reads a little bit different, it's, uh, it may be the difference. But I'm, the point here is that Jesus is explaining to them what's getting ready to happen. He says, look, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, I was raised in church. And I remember as a kid in church thinking about, you know, especially in Sunday school when I was little, thinking about my mansion in heaven on the streets of gold. I thought, I don't want a mansion you know, I thought, what am I going to do with a mansion? Of course, a little kid, you know, <laughs> not thinking about that. But how many sermons have you heard talking about your mansion in heaven? But see, this really says that it's not really mansions. It's talking about a dwelling place. And the dwelling place that Jesus is talking about is a place in the Father. And it's the place that he actually lived in. He showed us what it looks like. And then he went and prepared a place for us in the Father. The reality is, if we're born again, we're in that place. 
And so when he says that he goes to prepare a place, it's obviously he had to go to the cross to pay for our sin. And ultimately, as with the song we sang, when he came out of that grave, sealed forever the victory of what he paid for. And because of that, we now can be joined to the Father in this relationship that Adam had in the very beginning that lost through the fall of the garden. Now, that's what God has for us. So he goes on to say, beginning in, uh, let's go to verse 16. He says, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Isn't that amazing? I mean, he said, look, the, the whole point is, John 16, 77, he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. And I'm sure the disciples are saying, what? How could it be to our advantage that you leave us? I mean, they've been with him for three years, seen all the miracles and signs and wonders. And he says, yeah, because I can only be in one place at one time as God in the flesh. But the God and the Spirit's coming, and He's going to live in you. And so He's not going to be limited to a space or a place or just with you. He's going to be in you. Isn't that amazing? So he, he promised that this is what the Holy Spirit is introducing to them, really the, the ministry of the Spirit. And then He says, I'll not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Now, I just want you to notice verse 18 through 20. It says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you a little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you will live. Also, at that day you will know that I am in the Father, you in me, and I in you. Is that an amazing promise? Now, what day is he talking about? The day after he goes to the cross. The day after he pays for our freedom and for us to be restored to the relationship. But at that day, we're going to be, he says, I'm in the Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's what it says, we're told that Christ in you, the hope of glory. But the reality is, is that it's time for us to really live like this in living in a continual awareness of the presence of God all the time. Now, it's interesting to note here, verse 18 says, I will not leave you. First promise. Second one is, I'll come to you. And then in verse 19, he said, you will see me. Isn't that amazing? Because I live, you live. And that day you will know that I'm in the Father. What amazing promises right there. This says that, look, in this day, after I go to the cross and pay for your sin, then I'm going to bring you into a relationship, the same relationship that I've got with the Father, same relationship you're going to have. Isn't that amazing? Now look at John 17. Now John 17 is where Jesus is giving his report to the Father about ministry on the earth. And then he, and I know y'all pray this all the time because he's praying in, in, in verse 20. I don't pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you have given to me, that uh, given, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Isn't that amazing? Now, do you think the Father loved the Son? I think so. 
And therefore, his prayer is that the same love that the Father had for the Son would be in us. And so... I share this because you go into the the rest of the New Testament and Paul continues to explain the reality of who we are in Him. That term of being in Christ or in Him. And it's so important for us to, to really recognize what Jesus paid for is for every one of us. So there's no more orphans. There's no more second class citizens. There's no more anything. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're a joint heir with Jesus. I mean, you've got everything. We've got it all. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing. Been given everything that pertains to life and godliness to the knowledge of Him. We live and reign in Christ Jesus. We're more than conquerors through Him who strengthens us. I mean, we have been given everything. And it's really time for us to live that way. Now, what I want to do, I want to go to... Um, I want to go to Genesis 3, and I'm making a point here of looking at the fall because we need to recognize these traits that we inherited from our first father, Adam, um, and so that we don't keep carrying them forth. We need to be sure that we're living in the fullness of what Jesus paid for. Genesis chapter 3, you know the story here, but let's begin reading in verse 1. A serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, just a couple of comments as we go along here. This is so typical of the enemy. He's always lying, and he always twists God's word. Now, he did the same thing to Jesus in the wilderness. He said, you know, um, if you are the Son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Well, the Father had spoken to him that he was the beloved Son. Now, Jesus, the way he answered the deal was that he just, he didn't dialogue with the devil. He just said, it is written. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Eve started a dialogue with the enemy, which is exactly what he tries to get us to do, messing with our minds and thoughts. Always trying to get us to start dialoguing and questioning and wondering and all this kind of stuff. So he twists the word. And then um, he, he drops in this little lure. He says, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. Now you do realize they were already like God. They were created in the image and likeness of God. They already were like God. They weren't God, but they were like God. And that's what the enemy does to us. He's always lying to us to try to get us out of the place that we're already in. And if he can get us out of that place that we're already in, then we, we start moving over here. And he says, well, you need to do more to get back into that place. And then you, we, we start striving to gain something that we already have. Now, this is really important because the enemy talks us out of stuff all the time. Because he's a liar and he's a father of lies and he's a murderer. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what he does. He messes with our mind. And he's always trying to get us to, to you know, he says, look, you, you eat this, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You know, well, whoa, what? that sounds good. We need to do that. I want to be like God. Well, they already were like God. 
So he goes on to say, so that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desired to make one wise. Now, we do recognize the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It says in 1 John, it's of the world, which is passing away, but it's still here. And it's still luring to us. So she gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now, when they ate of that fruit, when they sinned, for some reason, the last verse of chapter 2 says they were both naked and they were not ashamed. So whatever was going on here, whatever their eyesight was, they were in a position where they were not aware of themselves. They were aware of God. But after they ate the fruit, they became self-centered, self-focused, self-aware. They were all of a sudden aware that they were naked. And folks, that's the, what the enemy tries to get us to do is to what happened there, Adam moved from a place, Adam and he moved from a place where they were God-conscious to where they were self-conscious. So instead of loving him and as he tells us to love one another and being his representative on earth, they became self-focused as all about me and all about my issues. Um, aren't you glad we're not like that? <laughs> that we never have any, uh, any I, me, I, me, my moments? <laughs> Isn't that the truth? So it's the eyes of both of them were open. Now, now remember, when you're John chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, Jesus, first thing he says to you, do you know that you must be born again to what? See. To see the kingdom must be born of water and spirit to enter the kingdom. So when you're born again, what happens is that when we're born again, we have been given new eyes. We've been given the ability now that we're not limited to just this realm. We've got the ability to see in the spirit. Acts chapter 2 comes along, Pentecost comes along, you know, and they're all baptized in the Spirit and the fire of God has fallen and they're speaking in tongues and, and their people are saying, What's, they're drunk, you know, and Peter stands up and he says, they're not drunk, three o'clock, I mean, nine o'clock in the morning. He goes, this is what was spoken of the prophet Joel. He said, in the last days, sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will have dreams, your young men will have visions. Your men servants, your maid servants, all prophesy. Now, he's not limiting it to those particular issues. What he's saying is, is that in these days, which these, that last day is these days, you do know that, the day we live in right now, that's now, the spirit realm is open. I mean, we're not limited to just this one dimension. We may, I, we, dreams and visions and words of knowledge is normal. Yeah. It's abnormal, if you're a believer, to not. And that's what the devil talks us out of. Well, that's, you know, that's that sort of weird. No, it's not. It's normal. It's normal to live in the Spirit, to be able to see we've been restored to a place that Adam was in. Now, he lost it because he sinned, and then he became self-focused. We're born in that, but when you're born again, you can, you've got new eyes. So really for us, to, we, we need to start learning to live really where we can see. Now it goes on to say that they heard the sound of the Lord, verse 8. Said they, um, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden, the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. The Lord called to Adam and said, where are you? Now you do realize that he knew where Adam was. 
God's doing. When he asks you questions, he's not looking for information. He already knows. Adam didn't know where he was. <laughs> That's the problem. So we don't know where we are. I believe he was giving them a chance, opportunity to come clean. But instead, they hid themselves, and then he said, I heard the, your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. And that, that's a sad state. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And then the man said, The woman whom you gave to me with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. Is that classic? I mean, it's just classic. I mean, he, he not only blamed his wife, he blamed God. He goes, look, it's that woman that you gave me. They've been a problem from the very beginning. And now she's really messed up. <laughs> oh, Adam, not my fault. Man, is not. I didn't do it. But here's the fruit of the fall. First thing is fear. And what fear is, the Bible tells us very clearly in 1 John that perfect love casts out fear. If you have fear, you've not been perfected in love. And so we need to recognize when there's worry and anxiety and all the traits of fear, we just got to realize that the issue is not fighting fear. The issue is recognizing, wait a minute, we've not been made perfect in love yet. But the reality is, is that we don't have to live in that because we're sons and daughters of God. We are beloved. He said, didn't give you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So we have been blessed, really, with everything. But the fruit of the fall is fear. Fear indicates lost love. So that worry and anxiety, it manifests itself in fear of man, fear of failure, fear of rejection. I mean, you just it, that tree just keeps growing. Now, we've all been affected and infected by the fall of the garden. But as we're born again, we've got to start living in the new that God has paid for. Jesus paid fully at the cross. It said that they were also, they were naked and they hid themselves. You know, and that's, they were ashamed because they were aware of their inadequacies. You know, how many of us have that same tendency See, the biggest problem I see still in the church is that when we start trying to represent heaven, we think about, well, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. You know, I don't know. That, that's the problem. It's not about you. Come on. See, it's not, it has nothing to do with you. It has all to do with him. Uh, he's looking for a vessel that, that's willing to be used. He's not looking for skill set, anointing. He's not looking for your great ability to speak. Moses, I, I, I can't speak. Moses, I don't care if you can speak. What I'm going to do doesn't need you speaking. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. but we're all like that. Well, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I can do that job. You know, I, Lord, I don't know if I can do that. You know, yeah. it's not about us. <clears throat> you know, so what this shame does is cause us to feel inadequate. It causes us to feel like, well, and then, of course, it, it, it manifests in a couple of different ways, too. It manifests in always bringing up your past. You know, well, oh, look what you did. You know, look what happened to you. Look what somebody did to you. Look what you've been involved in. Look what's going on in your life. Well, the reality is we've been forgiven. Completely. You know what that means? I mean, not only gone, cleansed, completely. I mean, it's amazing. It's, it's so good. It's, it, it, it's hard to comprehend how good it really is. 
I mean, completely, absolutely, totally forgiven. God not only forgives us, He chooses not to remember. Now, didn't be, he didn't forget. God doesn't forget. He, he didn't, it's not like, uh, I forgot. What'd you, what happened? What's your name? You know, God doesn't have senior moments. You know, the reality is, God doesn't do that. No, He just chooses not to remember, to hold it to our account. Isn't that amazing? That amazing love that He would forgive us completely. Made us righteous. You know, He became sin with our sinfulness because we could made, made the righteousness of God. Wow. Anyway, this, this shame affects us in such a negative way because, again, it, it's all about me. That whole self-centered, self-focused world causes me to keep looking at my inadequacies and my, you know, well, I shouldn't have, you know, the devil give you a thought and then condemn you for having the thought. And we're so stupid, we believe, you know, I know, I, just, I can't believe I did. Oh, my God, I had this thought, you know. Come on. You know, is that true though? I mean, builds a whole case in there, and you know, I know I'm just terrible. I can't, I can't believe I did that. You know, devil's over there. Got, I got that person for the day. They're wiped out all day, so I don't mess with him anymore or her. Is that true? I mean, we're silly people. Anyway, so it says that they basically were naked, and the truth is, is that they, they get that whole thing, they just keep focused on that. So, bottom line is, is that then they come to this next deal, is that they, they uh, oh, Adam, I love this, he, he blamed God. You know, ultimately that's what he was doing, was blaming God. Of course, he blames everybody else, but what that, what that did, that infection caused us to be victims. You know, so, well, you know, I just can't do anything. You don't know how, what my, you know, I don't know what kind of condition I'm in and what my marriage, you know, my finances, and you don't know I just can't do anything. Still, all about you. Yep. And Jesus is going there and says, you know, it's not about you. It's all about me. Yeah. It's when you read the Word, you realize that, you know, is there anything too difficult for God? No. I mean, it says uh, the whole earth is like a speck of dust. Isn't that amazing? Pretty big God. You know? I mean, you know, Jesus said I could have, he says, Peter, put your sword up. I could have 12 legions of angels show up if I wanted them. Well, in the Old Testament, one angel killed 170,000 or 80,000 one night. 180,000 times 112 legions. I think that's enough. Take care of everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, we somehow. I'm just being honest with you guys. We got a we got a little Jesus. Come on, come on. And I mean, it's it's not what they're seeing in Revelations that was shared earlier. You know, I mean, when they when they got a glimpse of heaven, I mean, they're they're out. You know, about the time they can get enough energy to get back up, you know, they get another glimpse and they're out again. I mean, you know, that's just the way it is. That's, that's what happens when you really see him. We really don't understand and really don't see him for who he really is. I was reading that Revelation 5 passage one day, and, you know, it says that John was, said, there's no one to open the scroll. And John began to cry, and he said, don't, don't worry, there's the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to open the seal. And he says he, he looked, and behold, there was a lamb as if slain. Isn't that amazing? Different perspectives. The Lord spoke to me. He says, I'm a lamb to you. I'm a lion to your enemies. Now you can think on that for a while. You know, 
I mean, really. I mean, we realize he is a lamb of God that was slain from the beginning of time for us. Amazing, amazing love. But I'm telling you, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The devil roams about like a lion. Jesus is the lion. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and he is so much greater. I'm telling you, when David showed up in the camp of the Philistines, and he's just a teenager, you know, he looks down there and he goes, hey, uh, what's that uncircumcised Philistine doing down there? And they all disdained him, saying, what do you mean? You, what do you, I mean, this guy's a giant. He kills people for breakfast. I mean, look down there. He looked down there and he, yep, still an uncircumcised Philistine from my perspective, <laughs> you know. Because he had, listen, the perspective he had of God was so much bigger. He said, I've just been out there watching my little sheep, but I killed the lion and the bear when they came because that was my job. You know, man, I'm going to tell you, whatever he saw, listen, God was so much bigger. So when he looked down there and saw a 10-foot giant, he didn't see anything. Everybody else looked down there, they saw a 10-foot giant. And that's how God wants us to start seeing things in the Spirit. Seeing things totally different than what they are. Quit looking at our own navel. You know, there's nothing there. And there's nothing in this at all. So anyway, the bottom line with the blaming deals, we become victims. So all of that is just a I'm point. I'm, I'm making a point here. I will get to this point eventually. But just to, to reveal how much we still think and act like orphans. Now, of course, we know that beginning in verse 21, it says that uh, Adam and his wife, uh, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord made tunics of skin and clothed them. From the beginning, the only way to God was through the blood. And so from the beginning, from this point of the fall, all the way through to the time of Jesus, God was basically making a way to still be with his people. Isn't it interesting? I mean, it's God who has pursued us. Every religion in the world is basically about man's attempt to get to God. What does man, what can I do to bridge the gap to a holy God? And as Jesus said, we read earlier, there's only one way. It's through him. And so the blood, it says in Hebrews, with the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so that's every animal sacrifice to the entire Old Testament was again, was a, a type of the blood that ultimately the Lamb of God would shed on the cross for us. And so everything here from that point on, every sacrifice, the, uh, the tabernacle had to be sprinkled with blood. The only way the high priest could go in with the blood once a year, the temple, the same thing, all the way through every one of those animal sacrifices pointing to the reality of, of an ultimate sacrifice. In fact, you turn, if you will, to Hebrews, just so we're really clear. Hebrews chapter, uh, go to chapter 9. Ephesians 1 says that we have redemption through the blood the forgiveness of sin. We have literally been redeemed. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 14, it says, Christ came as the high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Now, I don't know how, what version of the Bible you're reading, but uh, if you look those words up, 
I mean, it means forever. Isn't that amazing? If you're waiting for Jesus to do something, you, you stop waiting. It's already been done. See, the greatest victory there ever was already happened. So we need to start living in the victory of what Jesus already paid for. Verse 13 says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the, sprinkled in the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason he is the mediator of a new covenant by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Isn't that amazing? Look at chapter 10, verse 12. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Isn't that amazing? Forever. See, the work that Jesus did was a forever work. It's a finished work. And the blood that was shed at Calvary, the blood that he shed, the penalties that he paid, he paid our penalty, he died our death. I mean, all of that was for us so that we could be restored to that relationship that Adam lost in the garden. So literally today, as we're born again, we've been restored to that place. Jesus has made a place in the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. And that place is that we live in Him. And so, no longer are we orphans, separated from God, self-focused, self-centered, shame-ridden, you know, worrying about guilt, worrying about... Uh, victims and that whole issue. No, we're, we're sons and daughters of God. We're joint heirs with Jesus. It's really time for us to start living that way. Now, what I want to do, um, you know, one more place, and just so Romans 8, 15-17, I love this passage because it just captures the essence. Romans 8, 15 through 17 says, For we did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We have received that spirit. He is the spirit of adoption. It says in 1 Corinthians 2, it says, The spirit makes known to our spirit the things that have been freely given to us by God. It says, If the Holy Spirit searches the deep things of God, he makes known to us those things. So the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth, who is God, living in us, causes us to, to begin to realize that, wait a minute, I'm not an orphan, but I'm an adopted, I'm a child of God. I'm a joint heir with Jesus. Holy Spirit convicts us, shows us that. But that's not the only thing he does. He says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, that we are sons and daughters of God. And if children, then heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So we're not, we've been restored to, to knowing the love of the Father. We've been restoring to know our true identity that we are sons and daughters of God. And again, what this does, when you're joint heirs of Jesus, you get to do what he did. We get joined in the business. It says he's seated, I just read that in Hebrews, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. We get to do that. 
you know, we get to get in on, you know, storming the gates of hell, setting the captives free. We get to get in on sharing with people, casting out demons, healing the sick. Just exactly what Jesus did. Joining him in expressing his victory to the world around us. Okay, now I've been reading uh, Dudley Hall, who's been a friend of ours for years, and we've looked to, wrote a book called Orphans No More. And in one of the chapters, he lists five things that are characteristics of us being God conscious. And so I want to, I don't know if y'all have read that or not, but I just want to go over these things. Number one, either one of the promises that we have of being a child of God is that we have promised presence. And so what that means is, is that we should live. Remember, he says, I'll never leave you. I'll never leave you. What does that mean? He should never leave you. <laughs> you know, I mean, it doesn't take a Greek scholar to figure that one out. It means I'm not going to leave you. If he doesn't leave you, that means he's with us. The problem is, again, not God's end. So the, the promised presence is, is if you're a child of God, he said, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to come to you. At the end of Matthew, he says, you know, go and make disciples of all nations and I'll be with you always to the end of the age. So bottom line is he's promised presence. So we should live as sons and daughters of God. We should live with a continual awareness of his presence. I mean, I don't have to go get with God. I've said that. You know, I need to go get away and spend time with God. Well, I need to start learning to live in presence of God all the time. But he's not going anywhere. It's me who's all over the place. But he has not left us. He's not leaving us. He's with us. So we've got to learn how to live as in his presence. Now, one of the, I'm going to go over these things because I'm just what I'm doing is revealing the reality of how much we still live like orphans. Because if you're going in and out of the presence of God, like, i got to go get with God, you know, you're still thinking like an orphan. Yeah. So it's time for us to quit doing that and realize that, wait a minute, you know, He's with us all the time. Yeah. We've got to learn how to just learn how to enjoy His presence. The second thing is, is pleasure. That He is, He loves us, and He is pleasured. He takes pleasure in His sons and daughters. I love what Dudley said in there. He goes, man, I'm not sure if I take pleasure in myself. You know, wake up in the morning, look in the mirror, and think, man, I can't imagine God wanting to spend time with me. But that's what he does. So we need to learn how to recognize no more shame, no more fig leaves, no more running and hiding in, the, in something. We need to realize that he takes pleasure in you. You are his beloved. Isn't that amazing? That's just amazing. Jesus gets water baptized and the Holy Spirit comes upon him and the Father speaks from heaven and said, you are my beloved son and you I'm well pleased. Jesus hadn't done one thing. He hadn't healed anybody, hadn't preached a message, hadn't done a thing. He just was walking obedience to God. You know that when you accept Jesus and you start your journey, he says the same thing about you. He said, you are my beloved son or daughter. and you, I'm well pleased. Now, I mean, even I say that, I know some of you are sitting here going, I don't know about that. You know, I don't know if he knows what all I've, been, I've done or what I've been involved in or what people have done. See, that's that old shame-based, that old junk from the past. I'm telling you, he sees us through the blood of Jesus. 
absolutely, completely forgiven and cleansed. So we need to learn how to really enjoy Him. I mean, Jesus prayed that we'd be full of His joy. I bet you Jesus is the most joyful person there ever was. I'd be willing to bet that He's probably full of joy. And He prayed that we would be full of His joy. Ah, wow, I don't think we know what that is. But we, I mean, He, he laughs at the enemy. I mean, He just goes, it's just ridiculous. And we need to learn how to just live in joy. A bit depression would go away if we'd learn how to laugh and rejoice. Really. So it's pleasure. So if you're not living in that place of, of realizing that you please Him, then I'm telling you, you're still living like an orphan. The next thing is purpose. We are joint heirs with Jesus. So Jesus, you know, we get to do what Jesus did. What is that? Glorify the Father. We don't have to do anything. We just have to be. He wants us to be who He called us to be. A son and a daughter. In love with Jesus. Loving one another. Expressing and releasing heaven. See, Jesus showed us how to live as a man empowered by the Spirit in relationship to the Father. In fact, what Jesus was, was a portal for heaven to come into this realm. And that's, that's exactly what each and every one of us are too. See, the same thing. We're, we're, we're that opening for, for reality to come into this realm. And we call this real. It's not real. The Bible says everything I can touch and feel and touch, it, it's all temporary. Things that I can't see, those things are eternal. So really what we've become, we've become like Jesus, we've become a, a, a conduit for the spiritual realm to come into this realm and, it, and be released. And that's what God's called us to do. Again, it's not about you. You know, quit thinking about it. Well, I don't know, I'm unworthy. If you worry with being a feeling of, feelings of unworthy, let me just tell you, you are. So you don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> Then you settle that. Right now, you just go, I don't feel like I'm worthy. Good, you're not. It's not about you. It's all about him. See? He's worthy. And we're not worthy. He's worthy. If there's any value at all, it's because he says something. You know? So it's all about him. So purpose. We get to join in what Jesus did. We get to, we're joiners with Jesus. That's our purpose. Represent heaven. Again, we don't have to, it's not about doing, it's about being. We need to spend all our time believing, and if you'll be who God's called you to be, you, you just will release heaven. The yeah. Bible says we're a fragrance of Christ unto God. Everywhere you go, you're a fragrance. You're light and you're salt. You know, we, we just are. The next thing that's important is that He promised protection. And that's pretty interesting. Remember how they tried to kill Jesus? And he just walked through them. Listen, if it's not time to go, you're not going. Come on. And you got to realize he's got the keys of death and he's in his hand. And you might as well just quit worrying. Exactly. You know, and they pronounce, we got cancer. Okay. If it's time to go, I'm leaving. If it's not, I'm not going. You know, we've got to learn how to live, to live in that place of rest. I'm not talking about being arrogant. I'm not talking about being foolish. But I'm talking about recognizing that He has promised to protect you. I think He can probably do it too. You know, I just we, we, we got to start living as sons and daughters. 
of God. If your assignment is over, that's fine. If it's not, you'll still be here. Yeah. You know, so we just got to recognize that he is our protector. And the last one is, is that he promised that he would provide provision. Yeah, he's promised that he'd provide for us. Now, you know, I mean, if you're looking for something special, bigger, greater, whatever, I don't know. But he promised he'd provide. I mean, just think what Jesus did when it was time for lunch. You know, he was hungry and found a boy with some fish and loaves and fed 20,000 people. I'd say he could he provide for her. <laughs> needed a donkey to come into town. He sent his servants over and got one. When he died, needed a tomb. They had one. You know, whatever was needed, he had. Come on. You know, he was not consumed with trying to provide for himself. Aren't you glad we aren't? <laughs> come on. That we never do that. No, I'm just the whole point of this deal was is not to try to beat us all up, but it's just to show us that hey, we still way too much orphan thinking in us, and it's time for us to to really fully embrace the reality of who Jesus says that we are and who He is. Uh, I remember years ago we had a chance to meet Rick Joyner, and this was in the early, I mean we had I don't know if we even started the church yet, but anyway we were meeting and and he told us at the time he said. You need to know who you are in Christ, and you need to know who He is in you. And I thought about that over the years, and you know, that's still true. That's what we really do need to know. And so we need to know the reality that what Jesus did at the cross was an absolute, complete, and total victory for us. Not partial. I'm telling you, it's complete. And really, it's, it's time for us to, to get out of the self-centered, self-focused, all about me. It's time for us to, to get our eyes on Jesus. We've been restored to being able to see and to fellowship and to live in the presence of God all the time. So we don't come and go and, and that, that whole deal. I mean, we, we need to start living in the presence of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, what I want to do is pray for us. Pray that God will give us revelation of that. And then we'll... we'll Give back to you or we'll be available to pray for people, whatever you would like. But I'm telling you, some of you here tonight, that God really wants to, to shift you into a whole new place of, of the relationship that Jesus has already paid for. I don't want, us to, I don't want to be lied to anymore. And I, don't, I don't want to be talked out of something that Jesus has sacrificed and gave his life for. I want to live in the fullest revelation of who he is and who we are in him.